Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host Theo Juan. Every person has a story to tell and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week I interview a new guest to come on the show and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, Please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by The Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than The Pocket AT. It is like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at The Pocket AT, and on their website at pocketat.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 14 of the podcast. This week's guest is Bryce Foster. Bryce is a Thunder Bay, Ontario native and is an attacker for the Team Canada men's sitting volleyball team. He participated in the 2019 Parapan American Championships, where he helped Canada win a bronze medal. He attended Sir Winston Churchill High School, where he played standing volleyball, basketball, tennis, and golf. He attends Lakehead University, majoring in business and commerce. Here is my interview with Bryce Foster. Bryce, thanks for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing, my man? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to hear your story. Um, it's a pretty amazing one. I've I've talked to you off air about it, so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So we're gonna get into it right away. Segment number one: your journey. Can you tell the audience listening how did you get to where you are today as a member of the Canadian men's sitting volleyball team? So basically, it's a pretty crazy story. Um, I was playing in a varsity volleyball tournament, a preseason tournament in Thunder Bay, Ontario. We ended up winning the tournament. After the tournament, on we had a practice on Monday. Coach comes up to me and says, the university coach had talked to me about trying to get you into volleyball. I kind of looked at him and thought he was a little crazy, but just because I'd never been much of a volleyball player, it is what it is. I was more of a basketball player at the time. So he ended up ended up being in talks with the, with the university coach. He ended up finding me the head coach's contact, Jeff, our current head coach, Jeff Smith. From there, we started chatting. That was in November of 2017. I didn't end up actually meeting the team until I attended my first training camp in March of 2018. From there, I got invited back to selection camp in May of 2018, which I was successful in making the team. And then after that, I've been traveling with the team since. So basically, my first international games were against the U.S. team in Columbus at U.S. Nationals. After that... We took a break. We had a we had our little summer break of just straight training um, as a team and as ind- individuals. Then from there, as many know, I was in per- Lima, Peru, competing in the twenty nineteen Parapan American Games, where we where we placed third and got a bronze medal. No, that's sweet, and that's just a little bit about your story. But can you talk a bit about the tryout process? What was that like? As um, trying out for the national team is very different than obviously trying out for your local high school team. I mean, it's a it's completely a different situation. I mean, 
you have your full high performance team. You have your head coaches. Um, so there, there's there's quite a few people that are watching and, and assessing you. It's interesting. I mean, like all of our training camps, there's lots to get done in a short period of time. I mean, our training camps are five-day periods, and you have two to three sessions a day, um, two on-court sessions with a workout and then mental training on top of that. So that's that's what our uh, our selection camp looked like. And I mean, really, for me, it's one of those things where although it's high-pressure situation, you have to live in the moment and have fun, um, and that brings out the best in most of us. How did you feel you were able to develop those skills early on in your life to get you to that moment? It sounds like you had some mental training beforehand. So what did you do to kind of get yourself ready for that moment through some other sports you may have played or other experiences? I mean, as a kid, I tried my best to to play as many sports as possible and to not dedicate myself to one one sole sport. Um, and I feel like that's helped me throughout my sport career. I played four different varsity sports at high school, volleyball, basketball, golf, and tennis. And I mean, each of those sports gives me a little bit of a different advantage in, in the others because they all, they're all they all versatile and you have to be able to do everything, I think. And now that I have the opportunity to play on a national team, I think I can kind of sit down and try my best to focus all my energy on this on this one sport. And if you weren't on the para Pan Am team for volleyball, is that the sport you would have chosen or is it kind of it found you kind of thing? I think it's more of a it found me situation. I mean, don't get me wrong. If if you would ask any of my friends, my family, any of my coaches, they probably would have said I'd be playing basketball. That was my main sport in, in high school, playing at a fairly elite level, winning a couple um, MVPs at the varsity level, all-star MVPs. Um, so... It's one of those things that it kind of found me, but now that I've found that the game found me, I mean, my love for volleyball is, it's undescribable. I mean, it's one of those things that I wouldn't have found myself in this situation, but now that I have, I wouldn't ask for anything else. And you can see some of the passion of him and, and some of his teammates on their Instagram account, which we'll talk about later. But in terms of having to transition from standing volleyball, what position did you play when you were on the standing volleyball team? When I played standing, I was uh, I was an outside slash middle hitter in, at the varsity level. In junior, I played a little little more middle. I was more of a serve specialist. The, my tennis skills in regards to serving kind of they they went right into volleyball fairly well, and that's that's where I kind of excelled with serving. Other than that, I mean, my skill wasn't amazing. But going into sitting from standing to sitting, any players who have played standing and tra- and tried to play sitting. It's a completely different game because you're taking your legs out of factor pretty much. I mean, you're still pushing yourself around with them. But the whole the whole aspect of the game changes. I mean, I guess it's similar in, in different levels of volleyball. But for sitting, I mean, you really want to take 70% of free balls, any sort of ball that you can get your hands on with your hands and set and set the ball. Because it's so tough to create a platform with the angles that you're given sitting on the ground. And that's one of the things that I struggled with at the start and defensively it's such a it's such a different task at hand. But other than that, I mean, there's a couple different aspects. I mean, obviously, there's a couple different things with sitting volleyball for those of us who don't know. Um there's two different rules. One is you can block serves. So you can joust right off right off service and then you also have to keep your butt planted on the ground or else it's considered a butt lift and you lose the point. So those are a couple different things that that really take a toll because in in standing if you can jump through the gym you can find different angles and stuff when you're attacking but when you're sitting if you have to stay planted and whatever I'm a mid-sized guy I mean I'm 6'2 decently sized torso mediocrely long arms 
I have to find different ways to tool to tool the block and to find ways to score rather than in standing. Yeah, you definitely see some of the athletes who can jump out of the gym. For those who know, Terrell Bromwell has been on the national team, played for Humber College. He can jump out of the gym, but that advantage is negated in sitting volleyball. So there you go. And that's awesome. And are there certain people besides your coaches that you want to shout out kind of on the podcast here of people who really helped you on your journey to get to where you are now? A hundred percent. I mean, first off, I mean, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Craig Barkley, the, the head coach of the Lakehead women's volleyball team. Without him starting the process, I mean, I wouldn't have even had the, I wouldn't have the possibility of being here today. So thanks, Craig. For the other two people that, so the way that our national team works and most do is that you go through spurts where you might have a month of centralization before a, before a major games like the Parapan American games. Other than that, I mean, we get together for five-day periods every month, every two months, depending on what the season's looking like. So those other 25 days of the, of, of the month, you have to find ways to get on court, get in the gym, and you're just training on your own. So for my situation, I've been training lucky enough to have uh, my ex-high school coach take me under his wing and he's been getting me gym time and he's been getting me in the gym just getting solo reps while I'm not with the team. And then my dad's with him helping him out, just shagging balls and stuff like that. So if it wasn't for those two, I wouldn't be close to the because we've put in timeless, timeless hours um, in the gym just trying to get better because like I said, I mean, I was never a huge volleyball player, so I had to develop my skill at a rapid level. And if it wasn't for those two, I wouldn't be in be at the level I am today. Thanks for sharing that, Bryce. I love your you sharing about the importance of hard work. A lot of times people think when someone's on the national team or a pro athlete, they just got there by genetics and they kind of just lucked their way into it. So I love that you're talking about the hard work aspect that comes into it. For sure. And I mean, that's that's one of the things where... I mean, I talk about this all the time in our in our mental prep sessions is that like anything's possible. Really, if you put your mind to it and you put in the work, you can really accomplish anything. And there's lots of stories out there. And I think that I'm part of one. And I mean, my story's still to come. But I mean, for the most part, I wouldn't be here if I, I could have taken the easy road and said, you know, maybe I want to try and make the team. Maybe I don't. But I didn't. I wanted to make the team and be a... Uh, enforcing role for the team and I the only way I could do that was to put in put in the time and work that's a definitely inspiration for those listening I know you got to start at the main championships you're at the para pan am volleyball tournament so just the fact that you're able to become a starter on that team is really cool and for those who are listening what's some advice you would give for someone in a similar situation either a para athlete or, or not they're trying to reach that next level. What's some advice you would give them? I mean, I would just give them advice of never give up. Like I said before, I was I've been looking for a for a para some sort of para contact for a while now, and I just never ended up they never ended up finding somebody for me to for me to connect with. So I didn't give up. I went back to my varsity sports. I kept playing, and then it found me. So I I would just say never give up. And like I said, anything's possible. If you put in the time and effort, you can really accomplish anything. I mean, it might not happen right away, but you just have to keep steady head and just keep going. And then eventually something will, I mean, I like good things happen to good people. And if you keep working, you're going to get there. There you go. I like the motivation there. Um, Have you thought about going into some motivational speaking at all? I mean, I've kind of, I've done it before. That's awesome. 
for me, being an IPT, I go to a children's hospital in the States. That's just the way that that it happened. And I, as a kid, before I had my leg amputated, I was a, I was a speaker for them. I did a bunch of different, different events for them. And I still do. I mean, one of my main things that I, that I love doing is going to schools and talking about my experiences as a para-athlete and my experiences as an amputee. And I mean, that's one of my favorite things that's kind of come out of this because I get to raise awareness for para-sport and para-athletes. That's awesome. And uh, we'd love to hear more about that as we're going to get into the other segments here. We're going to move to segment two, day-to-day life. Can you uh, tell us, what does your day-to-day life look like? You're a student at Lakehead, but you're also on the national team. So how does that work out? I mean, for the most part, it's for all the varsity athletes out there, it's pretty similar to them. It's just a little bit of a different schedule. So basically, I'm a, I wouldn't say a morning person, but I do like getting stuff done in the morning. So I have the rest of the day to do whatever I want. So I, I go to class sometime in the morning. I rearrange my schedule however I want. Right after after class, I'm going to the gym, getting a quick hour, hour and a half workout in, stretch, whatever. And then after that, it kind of depends on the day. Whenever I can get gym time, I mean, I'm on I'm on court at least one, two, three, at least two to three times a week, depending on the court time that's available. The one thing about sitting is that it does take a toll on your body. So unfortunately, I, I love to be on court four or five times a week, but our my body just can't, our bodies can just can't handle it. So that's, I mean, other than that, I mean, on court, I mean, I'm in physio, Cairo, trying to keep my body healthy because it does take a toll, like I said. Other than that, I mean, so that's my, when I'm, when I'm home in Thunder Bay, that's what my schedule looks like. School in the morning, workout, on court, physio, Cairo, taking care of my body. But other than that, when we get together as a team, it's usually a training camp situation or selection camp, whatever. Whenever we're together as a team, I fly out from Thunder Bay either midday Wednesday, late Wednesday night, get into Edmonton or wherever we're training. Edmonton, Calgary, we were in Lloyd Minister last running a training camp with the Lakeland Rustlers, the college team there, the men's program. And then after that, I mean, we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to get all the work that we need to in. So we have two sitting sessions a day. We have mental prep workouts. We usually have a workout in between or after those sessions. So it's a lot to get done. But like I said, I mean, it's similar to varsity, a varsity schedule. It's just that one, I don't have practices all the time. And two, I mean, we just get together as a team once a month and try and get as many practices in as we can. With the on-court sessions you mentioned, is that just with your coach you mentioned previously and your dad? Is that is that what that looks like? When I'm at home in Thunder Bay, yes, that's what it looks like. It's it's a different situation. I mean, for the most part, I mean, it. I think it's really worked in my favor because from the start, all I really needed to work on to get myself to where I want to be is on a team level is I need to develop myself first. I need to I needed to work on my platform. I needed to work on my service. I need to work on my hands. So. It's really worked in my favor, and yeah, we're doing, like, yes, we're doing repetitive things, and it does kind of get old, but that's that's the mental aspect of it. I mean, it's all stuff that I need to get done, and it is what it is at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I can't control where I am and who I can play with, so I just have to control the controllable and, and get to work, really. The fundamentals are definitely important, you know, especially when it's, let's say, 24-24, it's a tight game, bronze medal, or whatever that looks like. That platform, that volley that you've been doing for years on end and multiple hours comes in handy, doesn't it? It's funny you say that because there was a point, let me go into the archives here. I think it was 23-23 
in the first set of our third match in round robin in Lima against Brazil. And crazy rally, uh, one of our middles, Darius Simonowitz, crazy dig. Um, they said it to me on the right side, and I got the kill to go up 24-23, I think, in the first set. And Brazil's the second best team in the world right now. That was, that was a crazy game. If anybody wants to check sitting volleyball, that's a crazy game to watch. Bryce, I'll definitely attach that in the show description as well. So in terms of uh, the team practices, what does that look like? Is that a lot of scrimmaging? Are there a lot of drills? Is that kind of mixed in? What does that look like in terms of a training session? For the most part, when, when you like, if you were to go to a varsity practice, it's pretty much the same. I mean, we start off with a couple like team drills, whatever. We're starting off with some peppers, just whatever, serve pass. Then we get into our, our team stuff. So we're playing wash. We're putting ourselves like a snakes and ladders game-like situations. And for the most part, it's fairly similar. Like we're doing things like Swedish. Other than that, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it's it's high intensity. I mean, we we don't get together as a team like not often, but because we're all we're all across Canada, and I mean it's expensive to to travel. We don't get together as a team as much as we'd like, and we have to take advantage of it. So there's lots to get done, and it's high intensity, high pace. How do you find the chemistry aspect, especially as you're one of the younger guys on the team? How do you find fitting in? How does the team, in terms of overall chemistry, culture, how does that get built? Especially when you're only with each other once a month. I mean, it's it's interesting for sure because you have like you have guys. Our furthest out east is Montreal right now, and our furthest out west is probably our coaching staff in Grand Prairie. So it's an interesting dynamic for the team for sure. I think for me at least, joining the team. I mean, me being in Thunder Bay, I had never met any amputees or para athletes that are as athletic as these guys. And quite frankly, all these guys are role models for me because they've been through some of the toughest parts of their life and they're all successful men and that in and of its own I find brings a little bit of a different bond between us because we've all came from the same situations and we understand that that we've had to work to get to where we are today that being said I mean it's just it's one of those things like all these guys have taken me under their wing and taken the time to try and develop me and bring me into the to be a positive role in this team and the chemistry that follows I mean obviously we do we do the things that all high level teams do we're doing like our mental prep, we're learning just the little things about each other that we might not talk about and to just taking the, the time to do that kind of stuff. But other than that, I mean, it's like I said, it's one of those bonds that because we've all came from the same situations, it's not, I wouldn't say unbreakable, but it's just, it's, it's different and it's super nice to be a part of. Definitely being able to understand where each other's coming from is a great thing. So I, I love that you're sharing that and being able to revel in that with your teammates. So being one of the youngest members of the team, I guess a rookie, quote-unquote, what are some things the rookie has to do for the national team? I mean, it's it's one of those things, like all all sports teams, I mean, you have your small things that your rookie has to do for as well, hopefully first year, depends if somebody takes my rookie spot or not. Um, but if not, I might have to I might have to keep the... <laughs> then you're a rookie again. <laughs> the task going for the next couple of years. I mean, it's small things, you're... Run into the bus because you're gonna. You have to get on on the bus to go to to go to practice. And you need to go grab five, six waters for all the all the vets on the team. Or I mean, when we got to Parapanams, we didn't bring our bags ourselves for whatever reason, and for probably security purposes, we ended up getting into Lima at like two thirty. By the time we got our bags and put them on the on the carrier to the village, it was like three thirty. 
by the time we got back to the village, it was like 4.30, and then we got to the village, and they're like, yeah, you're staying up and collecting everybody's bags and making their in everybody's room, so <laughs> making sure they're in everybody's room. So next thing you know, it's 5.36, and I'm still waiting for bags. It's stuff like that. I mean, it's not a big deal. I can deal with it for the next couple of years, but I mean, it's it's all fun and games, really. Yeah, sounds good. And you also do some uh, some speaking and some social media stuff, so can you uh, talk a little bit about that? I mean, for that... Because I'm the youngest on the team, I'm one of the more tech-savvy guys, if you want to say that. <laughs> so, for the most part, if anybody sees the Sitting Canucks page, me and another one of the the other youngest, second youngest player on the team, I guess, Mateo, me and him have been running the page for a couple of weeks now. We kind of took it over from, from our head coach and our media relations person. Other than that, I mean, I try and promote myself as much as I can via social media to try and raise awareness for Parasport. I was super lucky enough to be able to take over Volleyball Canada's Instagram page two weeks ago now um, and do a, what a day in the life of a Parasport athlete is for anybody who's listening uh, who got to see that. Thanks for the support. Um, that was a super fun day, a super fun experience to kind of just show what my life's like, just waking up, working out, doing just talking about me and what, what kind of I do as a, like you said, a student athlete, but also just day-to-day life. And for those listening, that's actually where Bryce and I connected was through Instagram. I, I saw that a little bit of a takeover and we connected there. So you never know what uh, connections can happen when you put yourself out there. So Bryce is able to do that, which is really cool. And Bryce, are there certain things about your day that you just find a little bit menial or less enjoyable or are you just loving all of it? I mean, for the most part, obviously you have some days that are just like, oh, I want to get through it. But for the most part, I mean, you just kind of have to, like, I've, I'm trying to switch things up, whether, whether it's in the gym, whether just trying to break the routine, quote unquote just to make things different and exciting. And what I've been trying to do is just try and do something every day, something small that either brings you joy or just something that, that you can you feel like, yeah, I was proactive today. You know, whether it's a big task or a small task, something like that. That's awesome. We're going to move to segment three now. Misconceptions about your position or role. So oftentimes, especially with sitting volleyball, people are going to have certain views of para sport compared to standing volleyball. So what are some misconceptions that you want to talk about and kind of dispel today? For the most part, the first one that comes to mind for sure is that sitting volleyball is easy because you're sitting. That's probably the biggest misconception. And you have, like I said, we do training camps with universities and colleges all across Canada just to gain awareness. And we play showcase games against them just for fun. That being said, I mean, like you have some super high level athletes, they sit down and it's like, we're playing for our sessions are like hour and a half, two hours. And after the two hours, they're like, I can't sit anymore. It just hurts to sit. It's a completely different game. It's super high paced. I think it's faster paced than standing because you take your feet out of and you're less, you're less mobile in a way to get out of a ball that's being paced at you. At, I don't even know how many kilometers an hour. But if you see some of the guys, like one of the hardest hitters, well, Iran has the tallest player and probably the best sitting player in the world right now. He's actually, I forget. I think it's eight foot two. If I stand corrected. Oh, wow. <laughs> sitting down from his butt to, to top of his hand is six, four. He's a beast. He, I think in the last four years, he's went three out of four gold medals or something like that in the last four Paralympics. But basically, I mean, when you have guys like that, that are, that are pelting balls at you, you have to find a way to get get out of the way. And it's just one of those things that you have to deal with. And lots of times in sitting, you might not see the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but most clean plays per se. 
but you have to find a way to keep the ball up and it might not be the prettiest thing, but I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to, you pick up those things as you, as you continue playing. You mentioned uh, the, the cleanness of the volleyball. Are there certain rules in terms of lifts? Are lifts called the same as they would be in standing or is that different as well? For the most part, it's, it's pretty similar. Like I said, the only two real changes are the, are the butt lifts and then blocking serves. Obviously the court's smaller. But in regards to, to hand calls, I mean, it's at the ref's discretion, as usual. It's one of those things that it is what it is. For the most part, the, the only thing that you will see sometimes is because there's such an emphasis on playing the ball with your hands, oftentimes you'll see some, some balls that you would probably see called dirty in standing from like the chest area. You might see called clean, but like I said, it's, at the, it's, fi- it's 50-50 really in, in those cases. And is serving a bit different as well? I was watching a bit of your, um, I believe, bronze medal game. There was a, a whole video on YouTube. And serving looked a little bit different as well in terms of where people were situated. Is that not a thing? 100%. I mean, it's the serving schematic is different. It's, it's really interesting to see how different teams take on different theories. I mean, we are an undersized team. I mean, we have a couple... A couple of pretty big guys, but I mean, like for the most part, guys are my size. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, I'm not undersized. I'm six two, but compared to some of the giants that we go against that are six eight, six nine, I am undersized, unfortunately. So because you have guys that are ready to block serve right off the bat, it's one of those things that you have to find a way to either serve around it or serve through it. So for the most part, you have just like standing. I mean, you're running like you have you have your three three players ready to serve receive you can push a fourth back whatever your serving schematic is or your service receive schematic is sorry but as a serving team you have to decide whether you want to take the risk and serve with some pace or just get the ball and i mean some of the best teams in the world like iran brazil and uh who's the third ranked team right now i think it's egypt all don't try and put pace on the ball they just get the ball in and let their defense do the talking which is a completely fair statement to make i mean that's why Brazil is one of the best teams in the world. It's because they have a good defensive team and they turn their defense into offense and that's it. For us, though, being undersized, I mean, we kind of have to find a place in the game where we can take a risk and try and go on the offensive, and that's in serving. We have a couple of super, super consistent servers. I mean, I think, I don't know if it was at the 2017 World Championships in Montreal, our setter, Austin Hinchy won best server He's amazing. He actually played standing for UBC's men's varsity team. So he's a super elite player. I mean, he he's one who's took me under his wing and kind of taught me how to serve effectively. And that's one thing that has been one of the better parts of my game, especially at Parapanams, was my serving percentages and my serving in general. I mean, we have a couple guys that can just run and gun with the ball, which is super nice to super nice to have. And with the serving, is there a certain rule of where you have to be on the line? as well or no no so basically the way it works is it's 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 just like volleyball i mean you can move anywhere anywhere on the line i mean it is what it is as long as your butt is behind the line you're good to go so your feet like that's another misconception is that like where can your feet go or what how what counts as a foot fault or a butt fault in vol in sitting volleyball so your butt has to be like for instance for serving, your butt has to be behind the service line. And then for back row attacks, your butt has to be uh, behind the attack line. And for blocking, I mean, I, can, I can't I can put my legs straight out 
because they'd be trampled. But I can I cr- I can cross my legs and my legs can go under the net as long as they're not interfering with the other players' attacks or play of the ball. And in standing volleyball, there's a lot of uh, teams that'll mix up in terms of their rotation who they have serving beside each other. So they'll have a couple spin servers and then maybe throw a, a jump float server in there. So for sitting volleyball, are most people uh, float serving or are there some spin serves as well? It depends. I mean, me, I started as, I mean, I always float serve whenever I was playing standing. So I just, when I transitioned to sitting, I thought, you know what, this is going to be the easiest, most consistent for sure. But now I've kind of transitioned into both a float and kind of a half spin. And then now I'm just kind of going straight into a spinner, um, just trying to work on just powering the ball into the court. Because one thing is, like I talked about when, when the differences between attacking, is that you, you're you lo- always looking for hands. Very, very, very sel- seldom of the time are you going to find a hole and just pound the ball straight down and T-line it. That's never going to happen, really. So you have to, even in serving, like if I see a guy that's giving me hands that, that I can hit, then I'm going to try and go after those hands and ramp them up and out, and then we can win the point. Awesome. That sounds uh, really cool, actually. And... Do you have any other misconceptions that people have about parasport or uh, sitting volleyball? I mean, for the most part, you do you do get the the odd person that I mean they see parasport and they think, yeah, I mean it's it is what it is, but it's not as high level as they think it is. I mean, for the most part, we're all putting in just as much of time, if not more time, um, in our careers than than some players have, just because for the most part we've all had to rehab from some sort of injury surgery accident or something like that so that that both takes the physical aspect of it and the mental aspect of it which is which is a huge part as well how do you handle some of those um the negativity perhaps from others uh talking about your sport or just the the trials that have come in your life how have you handled that and used that in your position now um on the national team I mean, for me, I've been an amputee for seven years, coming up eight eight years now. So it's it's been a little bit. I mean, it's not a long time, but it's not a short time. It's one of those things where you have to deal with it. There's no other way to, to really say it. It's one of those things that you just kind of, you have to live with. And the sooner you come to conclusion with that and, and get through those tough times, the, the better it's going to be. And I mean... You have to look at it from a positive standpoint, of course, and the amazing opportunities that have come of my amputation are indescribable. I mean, I can't say that I would have been a national team member before my amputation, and now I'm on a national team at the highest level of sitting volleyball right now, which is which is amazing. And I mean, you, you obviously get those, those negative comments and negative people, and I really like to use those people as motivation because like they don't think I can do it. Well, I'm just going to go out and show them. It's as, it's as simple as that. Yeah, you get some of those uh, what we call keyboard warriors that like to uh, to like to troll and things like that. So uh, it's good to hear that you're able to deal with that. <laughs> you got that right. And uh, what are some things you didn't know about a sitting volleyball, and then b being on the national team before you got there? I remember having a conversation with a family member like years ago, like a couple years even before my amputation. And they were like, hey, did you see those people playing volleyball sitting on TV? And this was during the Paralympics. And I was like, no, like, what's that? What's that about? And this was maybe nine, 10 years ago. I mean, sitting volleyball is an absolutely amazing sport. I, like I said, it's given me a love for volleyball that I, I didn't really have before. And I'm extremely thankful for that. At the end of the day, I mean, obviously I'm, 
I'm a high level sport. I'm playing at the at the international level. But at the end of the day, I want to have fun. If you're not having fun and you're not enjoying yourself, then then why are you doing what you're doing? And it is an extremely fun sport, even at the high at the highest levels when you're at the Parapan American Games. In the middle of the games, I could think to myself, I am having a blast right now, and that I think that's what it's all about. That's awesome. And uh, we're going to move now to segment number four, rapid fire. I didn't prep you these questions beforehand, so we're going to see how this goes, Bryce. I'm excited. Number one, name your top three sports teams and top three athletes of all time. Top three sports teams, probably, well, I'm a big LeBron fan, so I'd have to say the Cleveland Cavaliers when he, when he got drafted, the Miami Heat, and then third, I'll have to show some love to our Canadian team, the championship Toronto Raptors team. All right, so all basketball there. I like it. And what about athletes? You said LeBron. Any other athletes that, you, um, that you're fond of? LeBron's my favorite athlete of all time by far. Uh, nothing but respect for the man. Other than that, I mean, there's a bit, obviously big debates, but MJ is probably my second favorite. And third, I'll have to go. I'll go with, I'll go with Kobe. All right, so the all basketball theme there. That's awesome. I kind of have a feeling you're gonna, what you're going to say for this question, but... What is your favorite sports memory of all time? Let's go with a sports memory of you playing and then a sports memory for you as a fan. As a fan, that's probably pretty easy. I mean, watching the finals and watching the Raptors win a win a championship and I was actually lucky enough to be watching the game with all my teammates out in Edmonton. So that that was an amazing experience seeing Toronto win their first ever championship. That's absolutely it was it was crazy. Um but as a as a athlete, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I could really name any any moment throughout the Parapan American Games, but probably I'm getting goosebumps saying this, but probably the best memory was when I was walking out during the during the opening ceremonies in Lima with a crowd full of forty five, fifty thousand. Being able to have my parents being two of those people in the crowd was an, was an absolutely amazing experience. I mean, you walk out there and you're just engulfed. We were at State uh, Stadio Nacional in where the Peruvian national soccer team plays, and it was uh, it was absolutely beautiful. It's a moment that I'll remember for the rest of my life, and hopefully, I'll be able to experience a couple more opening ceremonies in my in my career. So uh, you're gonna have to be honest with me here. Were you shedding a tear at that moment, or was it all uh, all just uh, just joy? <laughs> I wouldn't say a tear. I I like I was just so amped up. It's just one of those. I, it's, it was all excitement, like definitely all excitement. It's one of those things that you can't really prep yourself for it. You just, you walk in and your eyes just light up and you're like, holy smokes, what is happening right now? And maybe your parents uh, shed a tear or two, maybe. I bet you, I bet you they did. That's awesome. So question three here, some non-sports questions. You have one last meal to eat on earth. You got to tell me your appetizer, your main course, dessert, and what you're drinking. My appetizer would probably be some mussels. My main course would be two things, actually. It'd be a bolognese pasta from, well, actually, these would both be. There's this super nice, super nice restaurant in downtown Minneapolis. It'd be a New York strip from, from there, and then it'd be a bolognese pasta. They're delicious. And then dessert, I'd have to, I'd have to go with something simple. I like, I like my desserts plain. I love gelato, so it'd be... A couple different kinds, uh, a couple different scoops of gelato for sure. And uh, what are you drinking? I mean, it, it depends. I mean, that's that's a tough one. I mean, for me, something simple. I mean, what are we are we talking non-alcoholic or alcoholic beverages here? 
You can uh, you can talk about both on the podcast. That's okay. <laughs> it I mean it, it really depends. I mean for me, I like I like it simple. Maybe a, a vodka seven or a vodka crown. I'm gonna give you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world of all time, uh, living or dead. You gotta pick three and the order in which they play. Who are they? And uh, you can maybe say why as well. That's easy. I go. Actually, it's not. First two, I'd start with Little Baby, then go Roddy Rich, and then I'd probably, I'd probably switch it up and go a little old school. That's a tough one though. I have so many old school rappers. I might go. Uh, I'll probably go Fifty Cent, Fifty Cent or Tupac, one of the two. Okay, yeah, and I'm not sure if you ever saw they did a a concert where they used like a hologram of Tupac. I think it was at Coachella or some other. Festival. I'm not sure if you saw that. It's on YouTube somewhere, but they had a hologram of Tupac and it looked like him. It was pretty cool. That's crazy. Yeah. So number five here. What's the best career or um, in terms of your athlete life, what's the best athlete advice you've ever received for training or just for pushing through those moments of uh, trial or negativity? My first camp, uh, I went there. I mean, I wasn't good by any means. I was just kind of learning, learning the ropes and at the end of the camp, I mean, I was told by one of the one of the more varsity players that that isn't on the team anymore, but but was at the time. And he just told me it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough path, and there's no if ands or buts about that. But you just gotta keep pushing through. And I mean, skill development isn't necessarily isn't the most fun thing because you're doing something repetitive over and over and over again. But that's what's gonna make you better at the end of the day, both physically and mentally stronger. And also, the reality is. For most humans, I've done a lot of reading on this as well in terms of habits. Uh, we all do habits of some sort, be it binge-watching Netflix every day or For sure. eating certain foods or whatever that looks like. So you're just taking that repetitive action and putting it positively towards your athletic development. Exactly. Last question here. I'm going to give you all the talent in the world, okay? You could be any position on any team in any sport. What would it be? You know what? This is this is going to be a different one. For me, I would probably go with after watching watching the last dance and the whole MJ times. I mean, this wasn't in the first two episodes, but I'd want to be a point guard for for the Bulls back in the bully boy days when the Pistons were the most physical team in the league. Just just to see what it was like back then. Obviously, I wasn't I wasn't able to live through those times, but from what I hear and what I see in all the different documentaries, like that was uh, one of the meccas in sports, how physical basketball was, and it's something that I miss in the in these times, which is why I chose that. Yeah, you definitely see a lot more foul calls, and it's just a different lifestyle in terms of how and culture that basketball is played in nowadays. I mean, obviously, you have to protect your players, but I think, in a way, it's... It's soft. I mean, obviously, LeBron's my favorite player, but I can't not talk about how he, he does like to embellish. He does like to play a, a soft type of basketball, but he is the best player in the world right now, so he can do that. But to see the game go from, I mean, there wasn't such thing as a technical foul or a flagrant foul to that's all it's called these days, I mean, it's it's goofy. So you're, you're longing for the days of 90s basketball, the bad boys in terms of uh, the Pistons and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that was a that was an awesome time. I mean, my dad's a Pistons fan, so I kind of grew up being not necessarily molded to be a Pistons fan, but that you watch the thirty for thirty on them um, and all and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's awesome because I mean they 
definitely didn't have the most skilled team by any means. I mean, obviously, they had Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, uh, Dennis Rodman. I don't know if John Sally was on the team at that point, but they had Bill Lambeer, and they were just guys that went up, went after it and, and got it done. And I mean, that's a that's something that I always kind of keep in the back of my mind because you don't have to be the most skilled player, but you always have to be the hardest working. And that's on the court and off the court. You just have to find a way to get it done, and hopefully the outcome will come. Yeah, I love that blue-collar mentality that you have, and that definitely has translated into success in your life. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in terms of your career on the volleyball court. Uh, If our audience wants to find out more about you, where can they find out about you and also the team you play for? For sure. So all my social media is done through Instagram. So you guys can follow me on Instagram at Bryce.Foster23. That's Bryce with a Y. And then if you want to follow me and my team's journey through Instagram or Facebook, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Sitting Canucks. So yeah, if you guys want to throw us a follow, that'd be awesome. I mean, like I said, I'm running the Instagram page right now. Um, We've always got some content up there. And I mean, for me, I'm always on my Instagram. I'm always keeping up to date with whether we're whether we're out of town or whether we're wherever, I'm, I'm throwing updates on there. So if you guys would like to follow our journey, please throw us a follow. That's sweet. And I'll leave all that stuff in the show description as well. So Bryce, thanks for your time, taking time out of your schedule, training on the national team to, to talk on the podcast. So I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, good luck to you. Post-COVID, hopefully things get back to normal for your training and for your team. For sure. Thank you very much for having me again today. It was a pleasure and I hope to be back someday soon. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Justin Sures, general manager and head coach of the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks men's basketball team. Hear about his journey from playing basketball in France and the steps he took to become the head coach at Laurier. Justin shares about the value of hard work and the recruiting process and day-to-day operations of running a varsity basketball team. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on my YouTube channel at One and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace. (laughs) 